0: Uh, turn our attention to God's Word. And uh, just to give you some context of what we are doing, this coming this summer we are looking at various encounters between God and His people. And we're calling uh, this sermon series, Visitation Encounters with God. And we intentionally started this entire series by looking at the very first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis. And the, and the reason for that is that we wanted to really look at what it means for For us to meet God for the very first time. So, we looked at Abraham and Sarah and then Jacob. And today we're looking at the life of Moses. And let me set our text, which is Exodus 3 verses 1 through 14. Let me set this text in uh, its context for you. Because uh, Moses is actually uh, one of the most important men throughout the entire Old Testament. Uh, Really, he's in the top two. Uh, The other is Elijah. But Moses is an Israelite man. His mother, his adopted mother, was a member of the royal court. She was an Egyptian princess, and he, his. Birth mother was an Israelite, and he Moses was exposed to the fullness of an Egyptian education and their religion and their ways, because he grew up in the Egyptian, uh, in the Egyptian pharaoh's home. Uh, he grew up as royalty, yet uh, his his uh, uh, nannies were Israelites, so he had an understanding of his Israelite heritage. And later on, as he got older, one day he sees an Egyptian master beating uh, Israelite slaves. And so, what Moses decided to do is that he took action at later on and killed that man. And he discovered that there are witnesses. And so, he decides to go on the run. He goes out into the wilderness, and this new wilderness area becomes his home. He meets a woman there. Yeah, he gets married, and he has a family, and his entire job was to take care of his father-in-law's sheep. And this is his life, and this is actually... Uh, as he's going about his, his life, as he's walking and following the sheep around the mountain, uh, this actually brings us to Exodus 3, because he's following his sheep. He sees something, and he turns aside. So let's look at Exodus 3, verses 1 through 14. You can follow along on the words projected on the wall, or you can follow along in your worship guide. So let's give our careful attention to the reading of God's Word. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law, And he said, Here I am. And he said, Do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who ate in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppress them. Come, Then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they asked ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and at this time, we ask that your spirit would be at work in our hearts, where your spirit would shape us and form us by your word, that we would know you and that we would see you. And so we ask that you would reveal yourself to us. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Well, imagine this. Uh, imagine that you're uh, getting ready for a summer barbecue. And I'm not talking about a, uh, a northern barbecue where all you have is uh, hot dogs and, and hamburgers. I'm talking about a legit barbecue because you are so excited to try out this n- new uh, barbecue sauce. It's from North Carolina. It's a mustard style. You're just really excited to, to invite all your friends over to, to jo- enjoy it, even though you yourself might not enjoy the mustard-style barbecue sauce that I'm really excited about. Trust me, it's good. And so you're, inv- you're sending out the invitation, so you're saying, like, hey, guys, we're going to have a barbecue on, on, uh, on this coming uh, Saturday evening, and I just asked that you would bring a dish to share with some others. And so, like, you, you got the paper, uh, the paper plates, you got the paper cups, and, like, you're just really excited. And as the day comes near, you are beginning to worry. You feel like you're missing something. And then again, the day time keeps passing. You're you're worrying, what am I missing? And you go over, and you're like, you're checking the guest list, and like you're seeing your friends are sweeping. You're like, okay, there's going to be the potato salad and coleslaw. I mean like we're, we should be good. But then the day finally comes, and your friends are coming coming over. They see this amazing barbecue sauce. It's amazing, trust me. And so you're, they see this amazing barbecue sauce. So you see that they, there's potato salad, chips, and, and so forth. But then your friends ask you the question, so where's the brisket and where's the ribs? Like, the most important part to a summer barbecue is actually having the brisket and the ribs and the pork and, like, actually having the meats. Like, you forgot it. And, like, The the point is, in this really silly illustration, is that you can't have a summer barbecue uh, without the meats. You can ask any good Texan, you can ask any good Southerner, and they'll tell you just that. Uh, And here's the thing, though. This is why I'm beginning with a very silly illustration. Um, Our life with God is uh, somewhat similar. Eh, Somewhat. Uh, In a similar way, awe. And wonder is vital to having life with God. If you do not have wonder, if you do not have awe, then you don't have life with God. Because wonder is necessary in order for us to love God and others. If you do not stop and wonder, if you do not stop to appreciate the beauty of things, then you actually uh, have uh, no motivation to pursue God in prayer. And if you do not pray, if you're not pursuing God, if you're not really being shaped by Him, you're not going to love. You're not going to love Him. You're not going to love others. And love and life are vitally connected to wonder. That if you do not stop to awe, then you will never flourish in life. And so given that awe is so important to having life with God, what does awe look like? What does it mean for us to stop and wonder? And as we look at this text, there are three items, there are three characteristics of what it means to to be in awe of God. And so very specifically, I want us to think about this entire idea that awe is vital to life with God today. And our text answers this question by supplying three specific things. And the first is curiosity. Curiosity. And let me just uh, point out that we live in a very spiritual moment in our culture today. Spirituality and God are popular. And perhaps this is a hard uh, reality for you to believe. But just consider this. Go to a Barnes & Noble. And just uh, go up to the Exxon Barnes & Noble, just a bit north of here. Go up the escalators, turn the corner, a few corners. And over in, in one corner, you have the entire section on religion. Not only is it just religion, it's Christianity. There's also Judaism and Islam and Eastern spirituality. There's shelves and racks devoted to uh, the world religions. And if you uh, go over to another section, you'll see uh, uh, words uh, on uh, Like, go over to psychology, the psychology section. You'll see books that are using the words mind, body, and soul together. So these books are making spiritual claims, and you'll see another section entitled self-help, which gives you the idea that life and spirituality is some sort of do-it-yourself project that you can tackle over a weekend. Like, so the point that I'm making is that we live in a very spiritual place. point in in our culture and but this is not new and and so john frame is an author he is uh, 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 over 70 he's an amazing theologian and he just wrote this new book called christianity considered a guide for skeptics and seekers and he points out that this is not this spiritual quest is not new he wrote this the counterculturalists of the 1960s i.e the true hippies Often thought of drugs as a gateway to a higher consciousness where they would access a new way of thinking or experiencing a higher reality. The, the, their drug experience wrought more devastation and destruction on their lives than illumination. But their dream lives on. And I suspect that many of us share it. And Frame is pointing out that the, the, the quest uh, that of the 1960s hippies is, is really that they're trying to discover a a new way of thinking, Uh, and that's, uh, they're trying to discover truth, but this, and that, this, this search for truth, this search for meaning, this is actually uh, signs of curiosity, and curiosity is, it's, it's natural. It's actually central to who we are. We're meant to have a relationship with God, and that's part and parcel of who we are. We can only thrive, we can only flourish when we have life with Him. That is a claim, that is a central claim of the Christian faith. And and everything that is good and beautiful that surrounds us is actually meant to prompt our spiritual curiosity in God. This is why it's good for us to go outdoors, to go for a hike, to go uh, fishing, to go camping. It's good for our souls. It is why going to an art museum or a gallery is beneficial to us because we see the beauty that we can create. And it's also why listening to music has been described by some as a spiritual experience. But all these things, being outdoors, seeing art, seeing beauty, listening uh, to, be- uh, to beauty and seeing uh, the amazing creation uh, around us and even seeing uh, other human beings create things. All these things are meant to prompt our own curiosity and point us to God because He is the creator. He is the one on whom everything exists. He is the one upon everything depends. In our text, God says uh, when Moses asks, like, who are you? God says, I am who I am. In other words, I am the one upon whom everything exists. Everything depends upon me. And in our text, there's something extraordinary going on that really causes Moses to be curious in God. He is, uh, he is really just following his sheep around and he sees a burning bush, but it's not burning up. It's extraordinary. It's miraculous, but it's also a theophany. And over the past few weeks, We've been looking at various theophanies where God appears to his people in very brilliant and in very intense ways. And so this is another one of them. And we read, look, this is uh, verse 2. Exodus 3, verse 2. The angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And here we see uh, Moses' curiosity. And Moses said, "I will turn aside to see this great sight. Why this bush is not burned?" And so here we see Moses is curious. He sees some un- uh, some unusual and odd and extraordinary sights, but it, he knows it's so extraordinary because just think about his context. He's in the desert. Water is rare. It, the land is dry. This this bush, if it's on fire, should just burn up in a moment like that. It's like a Christmas tree being burned over a bonfire during the summertime, where it just like evaporates in, in moments. But this bush is not burning up. So Moses goes over, and he wants to know why. Why is this bush burning? And he discovers why. Because God is present in this moment in a very brilliant way and this is verses four through six where we see God speaking to him when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see God called to him out of the bush Moses Moses and he said here I am then God said do not come near take off your sandals from your feet for the place upon which you stand is holy and he said I'm the God of your father the God of Abraham the God of Isaac and the God of Of Jacob. So Moses discovers that God is appearing to him, but instead of being curious, his curiosity shifts. His curiosity uh, changes in a moment to fear. Look at the rest of verse 6. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. So this is actually where we learn something about our curiosity that as we are looking at God, as we are seeking to discover who He is, that Curiosity will should lead us to fear because when you learn and discover that God is actually holy when you learn that when you learn that God is holy that's going to really scare you and so let 's think about fear now uh, this is our second component so the first uh, characteristic of awe is curiosity the second is fear so Moses hears God's voice. He becomes afraid. Uh, fear fills his heart because he's in a holy place. And I want to lean into this idea of holiness uh, because it's not a common word for us to use anymore. Like perhaps if we're using the word holy, it might be uh, in a phrase of uh, a holy man where uh, the the individual is a representative of a religion. Uh, it's a, so it has a religious term. Or it also has been just... Uh, could be used like, oh, holy cow, just like uh, really just uh, to describe something and it's just an offhand comment that we m- might make. So perhaps holiness has a vague connection to uh, religion in our days, but this is not Moses' understanding of this word. When he learns that he's in a holy place, he is fearful for his life. And so he hides his face. He turns and looks away. So to start with, uh, this idea of holiness, it's this idea of purity. Our call to confession was from Psalm 24 where we learn uh, this. The psalmist is asking the question, who can come before God? And the answer is that he who has clean hands and a pure heart. So holiness has this idea of purity, of perfection very specifically. But think about Moses here for a moment. Moses... That was right outside, too. I saw the light, so i 'm not sure if you didn't anyways, but think for uh, mo- about Moses for a second. He is a uh, shepherd in the wilderness all day long. He is following this flock of sheep all around. They are dirty, they are filthy it 's moses job to keep them clean to 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 clean them when a ewe is about to give birth it 's moses 's job to uh, take uh, to help uh, this ewe uh, deliver a lamb and so he's walking around he's following them he is walking in their poop uh, and if he would come to your house if Moses would come to your house what would be the first question you would ask dude take your shoes off and right there's the kitchen sink and go wash your hands that's exactly what you would say to him be and you if and if he would sit down at your table you'd be like uh before you pass me the bread are your hands washed like that that's our lives are actually full of these situations. And like these are, th- these are moments of etiquette. And like imagine, here's another example of this. Imagine like last week I'm officiating uh, Tyler and Abby's wedding. But just imagine if during the middle of the ceremony, uh, I would just stop and say, and I'll pull out my phone and show it to Tyler and be like, hey, here's the World Cup score right now. And uh, he's like, dude, this is not the right time or place for this. That's true. Like, our lives are full of these moments where we have a sense of propriety and, like, where, in a sense, there is some type of uh, purity going on. But this is very different. This is very different from all those, exa- those examples. And there's, it's this fundamental difference between uh, washing the World Cup, interrupting the wedding watching the World Cup, or etiquette uh, at a dinner table, and Moses meeting the one true holy God. Those are very different things. Be very clear on that. Uh, because Moses is here in, this, in our text meeting the God of perfection and love and goodness and beauty uh, for the first time. God is embodying these things perfectly. And again, His name, I am who I am, Yahweh, everything depends upon Him. He is the creator of all things. And it, as His creation, it, it's, it's in Him that we live and move and have our being. He, we are totally and utterly dependent upon God. And Moses is meeting this, this God for the very first time. That's remarkable. That is extraordinary. That is awesome, to, to use the word of awe. And so God's holiness is creating the question that must be answered here. What is it about God's holiness that prevents me from coming before God? Looking at Psalm 24, who can come before God? He who, is, who, he who has clean hands and a pure, pure heart. The point is is that God's holiness demands God's holiness means that only one who is pure only one who is perfect can come into his sight. And friends, we know our lives. We know our lives are broken, our lives are tainted by selfishness, our lives are defined by sin. Our world is defined by sin. And like Moses is a sinner, he is a murderer on the run. He's hiding in the middle of nowhere. And we are sinners too. And one British writer, he defines sin this way, that, it, that sin is the human propensity to mess things up. The truth is we break things. In fact, we don't just break things. We are vandals of God's beautiful, good, and perfect creation. And we, so we are vandals uh, and rebels against God's reign. And it's all because our lives are centered upon ourselves. Our lives, are we are inclined to ourselves. And our sinful state is something that we need to own or face the devastating consequences. So 10 years ago in 2008, there was a relic that was discovered in the streets of London. It's 2008, and this relic was a massive bomb. It was enormous. And as uh, people discovered the bomb, all of a sudden it started ticking. Just imagine this for like literally for fifty plus years since nineteen from nineteen forty to two thousand eight, there was this gigantic, enormous uh, uh, bomb underlying the streets of London. And as was discovered, just starts ticking. The point of this is that our the sin in our lives is like this bomb. It's there and it has this um, ability to explode and destroy our lives if it's not disarmed at least. And when we know God's holiness, uh, we hide our faces from Moses because we, we are sinners and we know our sin. When God appeared to Isaiah, this is in Isaiah 6, uh, uh, it's, it starts that in the, the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. And the song that we'll sing later on, Holy, 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 is in part inspired by this text. But as as Isaiah meets the holy God, he declares... Woe is me, for I am undone. God's holiness humbles us, breaks us, and undoes us. And there are two responses that we can have to God's holiness at this point. And one option is to avoid God, which results in sin destroying our life. And the other is for us to humbly confess our sins and depend on God's kindness, which actually results in our flourishing. And all this raises the question, actually, How is it that we who are sinners can come before God in the first place? And the answer is Jesus. This is uh, 2 Corinthians uh, 5.21. For our sake, God made Jesus Christ to be sin, even though Jesus knew no sin, so that in Jesus we may become the righteousness of God. That word righteousness is is another word to get at this idea of perfection, where we are not guilty of our sin. And so Paul's point is that because of Jesus' perfect life, because of his death, because of his defeat of death, it's because of Jesus that we are proclaimed not guilty. In fact, that we are righteous in God's sight. And a few months ago, I preached a sermon series entitled, Life with God for the Life of the World. And I know many of you were here. And I just want to re- reiterate that title right now. Because our life with God is for the life of the world. We, we are meant to share... the the news of our life with God with others. And we're also meant to share our very lives with others as well. And throughout the Gospels, we find Jesus teaching uh, his disciples and saying, go and tell others this. And we find Moses, as he is meeting and encountering the Holy God, he's being told to go as well. And this is in um, in verse 10. So God meets Moses and sends Moses to Egypt. And he's very candid about this. So Moses is very candid because, God, because Moses knows that he's being sent to meet Pharaoh. And he says, uh, I stutter. I have a speech problem. I, 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 I'm not going to be a good representative of yourself. Like, like he, he asks all these questions. And the point is that we see right here as Moses is giving excuse after excuse after excuse. We see that Moses is a flawed, he's a broken, he is a sinful man. He's, he's actually still afraid. But he's not afraid of God, he's afraid of Pharaoh. And so earlier, I, as I mentioned, like the second characteristic of awe is fear. There are two different kinds of fear when it comes to our relationship with God. And I want to look at one specific uh story, one specific uh, example of Jesus, where Jesus is with his disciples. And in this text, uh, we see uh, these two distinct, uh, the the two different kinds of fear when it comes to our relationship with God. The the story goes like this, that Jesus finishes a a day of preaching. And as the day is coming to an end, he and his disciples get in a boat to cross the sea. And Jesus somehow, in a boat, uh, he falls asleep, and his disciples are rowing, or and there's a, there's a, a good wind taking them to the other side. But then all of a sudden, the t- the, st- the story goes that there a, a strong wind, a strong storm comes upon them, and the disciples are fearful for their lives. Jesus is still asleep, but they are fearful that they are going to die and it's going to be this storm that kills them, that, that makes the, the boat go upside down and capsize and they drown. And so they wake Jesus up because he's still asleep. And he say, hey, don't you care about us? We're going to die. And Jesus woke up. Um, he sees what's going on. He says, peace, be still. He is literally telling the waves and the wind, these guys, shut up and stop it. And all of the, everything just stops. And Jesus just like sits back, sit, sits back down. And it's the disciples in that moment, they are no longer afraid of the, of Drowning. They are no longer afraid that they may be capsized. They are—they are actually afraid of Jesus. Who is this man who controls the wind, who controls the sea? Who is he? And what I'm pointing out is that there's the two types of fear that's going on. Is that one is really a uh, a fear of dying, but then the other is actually—it's—it's it's actually more described as awe. It's where uh, where you just are looking at the person Jesus Christ and your jaw is just open the entire time you're like who is he because that is who Jesus is that is who God is when you encounter God in his holiness that is the type of fear that we are meant to have where our jaw just drops and it's but it still comes uh it's this type of fear where we just realize that god is powerful that we realize that everything depends upon god and he is uh, lord all, over all these things and the, the the reality is is that in all this the same god who appears to moses in the burning bush is the same god who appears to us in the person of jesus christ And we are told that if we look to Jesus in faith, he lives in us. That Jesus, when we look to him in faith, Jesus' perfection is our own, and he is at work in our lives. And so being a part of a Christian, uh, it means that you are aware of how God has worked in your life in the past and how he is at work in your lives today. And you have a story to tell. You are meant to tell others the story of God's love in your life today. And this is really the third characteristic of awe, where we are sent by God to tell his story. Moses is sent by God back to Pharaoh. We are sent, in, and we are commissioned into this world. And like we, when we look at Scripture, again, looking at Jesus, he, he every single time, not every single time, but he frequently tells his disciples to go and tell others. Uh, or he actually... Um, when he uh, just before his ascension uh there are actually seven passages in the gospels in the book of acts where, where we are told that we are his witnesses or and where we are sent to the ends of the earth to the nations to baptize and teach uh all the commands that he has given us so the re- the reality is that for us as christians that we are as sent people and th- and this ha- And the reality of being sent, the reality of having a story to tell, is connected to awe. And let me pull this all together, actually, with an illustration. And some of you have heard this illustration before. But years ago, before Jennifer and I were married, she went with her family to the Grand Canyon. And while there, uh, we were, as we were having phone calls, she told me over and over again, it was very beautiful. Now, this was before the day of uh, really texting through smartphones. This was before the day of Instagram. Uh, yet Jennifer did a wonderful job of taking uh, pictures with her small little point-and-shoot camera. And she took these pictures so that I would be able to experience in some way, shape, or form, without being there, some of her joy and, and awe of being there. And so I, as I saw how awestruck she was by this place, I asked about it. And since that time, since like 10 years ago, I've had the joy of traveling to Arizona, but I haven't made it to the Grand Canyon yet. I've made it to Sedona. I've made it to the Superstition Mountains but because i've been to those two places i know that i'm getting a fraction of the of just the the beauty of the grand canyon and so i know i won't be disappointed but this little story demonstrates something it shows how the threads of curiosity fear and the reality that we are we have a story to share all come together when we experience beauty that uh, or when we go to a place to, motivated and curiosity, see something beautiful, that actually deepens awe. When we uh, uh, see, when we truly ha- understand the, the the magnitude and the brilliance of that moment, we're going to uh, be in awe as well. And that's we, and that awe is like, hey, I want to share this with you. Uh, that's what awe does. And so just as Jennifer wanted to share her experience of the Grand Canyon with me in a similar, very different yet, but very similar way, we are meant to share our awe and love of God with others. And I know that some of you are here today, and as I've been talking about awe uh, and talking about God, you don't know God this way. um, Perhaps he's scary to you. And I know that some of you are also here today and you have a tunnel vision where you really fixate on your sin or the brokenness of your life in other ways. And I also bet that some of you uh, still wonder, that even um, you wonder what it means to be in awe of God. And these are all uh, very valid uh, moments and where all of us, have been in in some way or another. And to all of us, I just want us I want to leave us with this. That no matter where you come from, this is really the answer and what this text is telling us to do. This text is telling us to lean into Jesus. We need to ask him why the wind and the seas obey him. We need to lean in Jesus because he is the Holy One of Israel. We are the sinners of Israel, that he has come to make right because when you look to Jesus, you'll find that your your tunnel vision on your sin is diminishing. As you look to Jesus, you'll find uh, that you're, you're being awoken out of a spiritual funk and your awe is increasing in God. As you look to Jesus, uh, you don't find him as beautiful because he is the one who loves you. He is the one for whom uh, your soul longs for. He is the one for whom that you are really meant to, to know and to really pursue with all every energy and every fiber of your being. That So we need to, friends, all of us, we need to lean into Jesus in order for us to have the awe and to know God as we see in this passage. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Uh, for your love. We thank you for uh, how you have revealed yourself to us. And Lord, we ask that now in the coming uh, days, we ask that you would reveal yourself more fully to us, that, that we would know that you are a holy God who loves us. And so Lord, we ask that your spirit would be at work in our hearts, that we would uh, become more like your son, Jesus Christ. And it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Well, uh, If you have uh, children over in Kids Church, now is the